let's take a look at a few poems from the very familiar works of Robert Frost. These treasured works by the honored poet Robert Frost became public domain on January 1st, 2019. Long overdue, extensions of the copyright law, many educators consider this very important to our culture. The public domain has been frozen in time for 20 years, and we are reaching the 20-year thaw, according to Jennifer Jenkins, director of Duke Law School Center for the Study of Public Domain. So, if you'd like to read some of these works that have recently been placed on the public domain, you can finally do that. You can make a video of yourself, or you can post it anywhere with no one to legally stop you. These beautiful poems were published in 1923 and even before, and that makes these works that we're about to delve into 95 years old or older and available now for public ownership. Let's now read the works of Robert Frost. The poem, The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Stopping by the woods on a snowy evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. Between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. 
the only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. I remember memorizing that poem when I was in elementary school. My elementary school was Mount Pleasant Elementary. In fact, it was a school that my brother and I could see from our window in our house. So we were literally a stone's throw away from the brick building that holds so many of our childhood memories, including that poem from Robert Frost. Here's another one, and this one is called Fire and Ice. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice is also great and would suffice. Here's another poem. It's called Evening in a Sugar Orchard. From where I lingered in lull in March, outside the sugar house one night for choice. I called the fireman with careful voice and bade him leave the pan and stoke the arch. O oh, fireman, give the fire another stoke and send more sparks up the chimney with the smoke. I thought a few might tangle as they did among the bare maple boughs and in the rare hill atmosphere not cease to glow and so be added to the moon up there. The moon, though slight, was moon enough to show on every tree a bucket with a lid and on black ground a bearskin rug of snow. The sparks made no attempt to be the moon. They were content to figure in the trees as Leo, Orion, and the Pleiades. And that was what the boughs were full of soon. Here's another one that I found called A Late Walk. 
When I go up through the mowing field, the headless aftermath, smooth laid like thatch with the heavy dew, half closes the garden path. And when I come to the garden ground, the whir of sober birds, up from the tangle of withered weeds, is sadder than any words. A tree beside the wall stands bare, but a leaf that lingered brown, disturbed, I doubt not, by my thought, comes softly rattling down. I end not far from my going forth by picking the faded blue of the last remaining aster flower to carry again to you. Here's a very short poem by Robert Frost called A Patch of Old Snow. There's a patch of old snow in a corner that I should have guessed was a blow-away paper in the rain had brought to rest. It is speckled with grime as if small print overspread it. The news of a day I've forgotten if I ever read it. Speaking of snow and old snow on the ground, it brings to mind some of the snowy winter days that we had recently. It really has not been much of a winter when you consider that we have had half the amount of snow that is normal. We'll see what brings next winter. In the meantime, here's a poem from Robert Frost called An Old Man's Winter Nights. Out of the doors looked darkly in at him through the thin frost almost in separate stars that gathers on the pane in empty rooms what kept his eyes from giving back the gaze was the lamp tilted near them in his hand what kept him from remembering what it was that brought him to that creaking room was age. He stood with barrels round him at a loss, and having scared the cellar under him, in clomping there he scared it once again. In clomping off he scared the outer night which has its sounds familiar like the roar of trees and crack of branches 
common things, but nothing so like beating on a box. A light he was to no one but himself, where now he sat, concerned with he knew what, a quiet light, and then not even that. He consigned to the moon, such as she was, so late arising to the broken moon, as better than the sun in any case, for such a charge his snow upon the roof, his icicles along the wall to keep, and slept. The log that shifted with a jolt once in the stove disturbed him, and he shifted, and eased his heavy breathing, but still slept. One aged man, one man, can't keep a house, a farm, a countryside, or if he can, it's thus he does it of a winter night. My guess is that from time to time, on a beautiful night, when the atmosphere is cloudless and moonless, and you see so many stars up in the sky that you've been more than tempted to sit, stare, and wonder about all that has been created. And so it is with Robert Frost, as you will see from a poem simply called Stars. How countlessly they congregate o'er our tumultuous snow, which flows in shapes as tall as trees when wintry winds do blow. As if with keenness for our fate, our faltering few steps on, to white rest and a place of rest invisible at dawn. And yet with neither love nor hate, those starts like some snow-white Minerva's snow-white marble eyes without the gift of sight. For those of you who are not aware, Robert Frost spent a good chunk of his time in New England. Most New Englanders are pretty weather savvy. You have to be with such a wide variety of weather situations that arise. I myself was born and raised in southern New England, right along the seashore. And it was probably that very fact that attracted my attention to meteorology 
and I became very weather savvy at a very early age. And of course, it ended up being my profession. Also, one of my loves is writing and appreciating good writing. And that's one of the things that I so enjoy about Robert Frost's poems, because so often he did pen things about weather, different kinds of weather. Here's another poem about a different kind of weather. It's simply called The Flood. Blood has been harder to dam back than water. Just when we think we have it impounded safe behind new barrier walls and let it chafe, it breaks away in some new kind of slaughter. We choose to say it is let loose by the devil, but power of blood itself releases blood. It goes by might of being such a flood, held high at so unnatural a level. It will have outlet, brave and not so brave, Weapons of war and implements of peace are but the points at which it finds release. And now it is once more the tidal wave that, when it has swept by, leaves summits stained. Oh, blood will out. It cannot be contained. Let's take a look at another of Robert Frost's poems that deal with weather. And this one is called A Line Storm Song. The line storm clouds fly tattered and swift. The road is forlorn all day. Where a myriad snowy quartz stones lift, and the hoofprints vanish away. The roadside flowers, too wet for the bee, expend their bloom in vain. Come over the hills and far with me, and be my love in the rain. The birds have less to say for themselves in the wood world's torn despair than now these numberless years the elves, although they are no less there. All song of the woods is crushed like some wild eerily shattered rose. Come be my love in the wet woods come, where the boughs rain when it blows. There is a gale to urge behind and brute our singing down. And the shallow waters a flutter with wind 
from which to gather your gown. What matter if we go clear to the west and come not through dry shod? For wilding brooch shall wet your breast the rain fresh golden rod. Oh, never this whelming east wind swells, but it seems like the sea's return to the ancient lands where it left the shelves before the age of the fern. And it seems like the time when, after doubt, our love came back amain. Oh, come forth into the storm and rout, and be my love in the rain. Well, recently, it seems like spring has taken its sweet old time in developing, especially with two May snowfalls, two measurable May snowfalls, something that has not happened in Cleveland since weather records have been kept. And so with the spring weather now really coming to fruition, I thought perhaps now would be a good time to take a look at one of Robert Frost's poems about spring. And it's simply called A Prayer in the Spring. And it goes like this. Oh, give us pleasure in the flowers today and give us not to think so far away. As the uncertain harvest keep us here, all simply in the springing of the year. Oh, give us pleasure in the orchard white, like nothing else by day, like ghosts by night. And make us happy in the happy bees, the swarm dilating round the perfect trees. And make us happy in the darting bird that suddenly above the bees is heard, the meteor that thrusts in with needle bill and off a blossom in midair stands still. For this is love, and nothing else is love, to which it is reserved for God above, to sanctify what far ends he will, but which it only needs that we fulfill. Let's skip a little ahead right now, and let's go to the month of October, and that is the subject of Robert Frost's poem entitled simply, October. O hushed October morning mild, thy leaves have ripened to the fall. Tomorrow's wind, if it be wild, should waste them all. 
the crows about the forest call. Tomorrow they may form and go. O hushed October morning mild, begin the hours of this day slow. Make the day seem to us less brief, hearts not averse to being beguiled. Beguile us in the way you know, release one leaf at break of day. At noon, release another leaf, one from our trees, one far away. Retard the sun with gentle mist, enchant the land with amethyst, slow, slow. For the grapes' sake, if there were all, whose leaves already are burnt with frost, whose clusters fruit must else be lost. For the grapes' sake, along the all. This next poem that I'm about to read, once again from Robert Frost, is about the next month the month after October. And this one is called My November Guest. My sorrow, when she's here with me, thinks these dark days of autumn rain are beautiful as days can be. She loves the bear, the withered tree. She walks the sodden pasture lane. Her pleasure will not let me stay. She talks, and I am fain to list. She's glad the birds are gone away. She's glad her simple worsted grady is silver now with clinging mist. The desolate, deserted trees, the faded earth, the heavy sky, the beauties she so wryly sees, she thinks I have no eye for these, and vexes me for reason why. Not yesterday I learned to know the love of bare November days before the coming of the snow. But it were vain to tell he so, and they are better for her praise. It seems only fitting that the next poem would be about something colder or at least something that would make you reach for the windows and to close them as colder winds begin to blow. And so, the next poem by Robert Frost is called, Now Close the Windows. Now close the windows 
and hush all the fields. If the trees must, let them silently toss. No bird is singing now, and if there is, be it my loss. It will be long ere the marshes resume. I will be long ere the earliest bird. So close the windows and not hear the wind, but see all wind stirred. Naturally, when the colder winds begin to blow, you begin to think of things that winter will dictate, things that might include something like a nice fire in the fireplace. Well, in order to have a fire in the fireplace, you have to make sure you have plenty of wood stacked and ready to go and seasoned. Robert Frost thought of that too in his poem called The Woodpile. And here it is. Out walking in the frozen swamp one gray day, I paused and said, I will turn back from here. No, I will go on farther, and we shall see. The hard snow held me, save where now and then one foot went down. The view was all in straight up and down of tall, slim trees, too much alike to mark or name a place by, so as to say for certain I was here, or somewhere else, I was just far from home. A small bird flew before me. He was careful to put a tree between us when he lighted and say no word to tell me who he was. Who was so foolish as to think what he thought? He thought that I was after him for a feather, the white one in his tail, like one who takes everything said as personal to himself. One flight out sideways would have undeceived him, and then there was a pile of wood for which I forgot him and let his little fear carry him off the way I might have gone without so much as wishing him good night. He went behind it to make his last stand. It was a cord of maple cut and split and piled and measured four by four by eight, and not another like it I could see. No runner tracks in this year's snow looped near it, and it was older sure than this year's cutting, or even last year's, or the years before. The wood was gray, and the bark warping off it, and the pile somewhat shrunken. Clementus 
head wound strings round and round it like a bundle. What held it, though, on one side was a tree, still growing, and on one a stake and a prop. These latter about to fall. I thought that only someone who lived in turning to fresh tasks could so forget his handiwork on which he spent himself the labor of his axe and leave it there far from a useful fireplace to warm the frozen swamp as best it could with the slow, smokeless burning of decay. My guess is just about everybody loves blueberries. Blueberries would be one of those berries that has universal appeal. I can't think of many people who would refuse a slice of blueberry pie. The best blueberry pie that I can remember was my mother-in-law's blueberry pie. She doesn't make them anymore, but I can still, with my memory, taste the delight of that pie. So why in the world am I talking about blueberries? It's because that is the title of one of Robert Frost's longest poems. It's simply called Blueberries. Let's read it together. You ought to have seen what I saw on my way to the village through Mortensen's pasture today. Blueberries as big as the end of your thumb, real sky blue and heavy and ready to drum in the cavernous pale of the first one to come and all ripe together, not some of them green and some of them ripe, you ought to have seen. I don't know what part of the pasture you mean. You know where they cut off the woods. Let me see. It was two years ago. Or no. Can it be? No. Longer than that? And the following fall, the fire ran and burned it all up to the wall. Why, there hasn't been time for the bushes to grow. That's always the way with blueberries, though. There may not have been the ghost of a sign of them anywhere under shade of the pine. But get the pine out of the way, you may burn the pasture all over until not a fern. Or grass blade is left, not a mention a stick, and presto, they're up all around you as thick and hard to explain as a conjurer's trick. 
It must be on charcoal they fatten their fruit. I taste in them sometimes the flavor of soot. And after all really their ebony skinned, the blues but a mist from the breath of the wind. A tarnish that goes at a torch of the hand, and less than the tan with which pickers are tanned. Does Mortensen know what he has, do you think? He may not care, and so leave the chewink to gather them for him. You know what he is. He won't make the fact that they're rightfully his. An excuse for keeping us other folk out. I wonder you don't see Lauren about. The best of it was that I did. Do you know? I was just getting through what the field had to show. And over the wall and into the road, when who should come by with a Democrat load? Of all the young chattering Lorens alive, but Loren, the fatherly, out for a drive. He saw you then? What did he do? Did he frown? He just kept nodding his head up and down. You know how politely he always goes by. But he thought a big thought I could tell by his eye, which he expressed might be this in effect. I have left those there berries, I shrewdly suspect. To ripen too long, I am greatly to blame. He's a thriftier person than some I could name. He seems to be thrifty, and hasn't he need, with the mouths of all those young Lorens to feed. He has brought them all up on wild berries, they say. Like birds, they store a great many away. They eat them the year round, and those they don't eat, they sell in the store and buy shoes for their feet. Who cares what they say? It's a nice way to live. Just taking what nature is willing to give, not forcing her hand with a harrow and plow. I wish you had seen his perpetual bow. And the air of the youngsters, not one of them turned, and they looked so solemn, absurdly concerned. I wish I knew half what the flock of them know, of where all the berries and other things grow. Cranberries in bogs and raspberries on top, of the boulder-strewn mountain and when they will crop. I met them one day, and each had a flower, stuck 
to his berries as fresh as a shower. Some strange kind, they told me, it hadn't a name. I've told you how once, not long after we came. I almost provoked poor Lauren to mirth by going to him of all people on earth to ask if he knew any fruit to be had for the picking the rascal he said he'd be glad to tell if he knew but the year had been bad there had been some berries but those were all gone he didn't say where they had been he went on i'm sure i'm sure as polite as could be he spoke to his wife in the door let me see ma'am we don't know any good burying place it was all he could do to keep a straight face if he thinks all the fruit that grows wild is for him he'll find he's mistaken see here for a whim we'll pick in the mortensons pasture this year we'll go in the morning that is if it's clear and the sun shines out warm the vines must be wet it's so long since i picked i almost forget how we used to pick berries we took one look round then sank out of sight like trolls underground and saw nothing more of each other or heard unless when you said i was keeping a bird away from its nest and i said it was you well one of us is for complaining it flew around and around us and then for a while we picked till i feared you had wandered a mile and i thought i had lost you i lifted a shout too loud for the distance you were it turned out for when you made answer your voice was as low as talking you stood up beside me you know we shan't have the place to ourselves to enjoy not likely when all the young laurens deploy they'll be there tomorrow or even tonight they won't be too friendly they may be polite to people they look on as having no right to pick where they're picking but we won't complain you ought to have seen how it looked in the rain the fruit mixed with water in layers of leaves like two kinds of jewels a vision for thieves all right now let's finish our blueberry picking and let's go to another 
very vast, wide, open glade where we'll do another kind of harvest. This next poem by Robert Frost is called Flower Gathering. I left you in the morning and in the morning glow you walked away beside me to make me sad to go. Do you know me in the gloaming, gaunt and dusty gray with roaming? Are you dumb because you know me not, or dumb because you know? All for me, and not a question, for the faded flowers gay, that could take me from beside you for the ages of a day? They are yours, and be the measure of their worth for you to treasure. The measure of the little while that I've been long away. Well, for the last 45 minutes or so, we've been reading some of the wonderful works of Robert Frost. But it occurred to me that some of you may not really know a lot about Robert Frost. So let's step back from his work and talk about the person who lived he was born, actually, not in New England, as some may think. He was born along the West Coast in San Francisco in March. In fact, it was March 26, 1874. Obviously, Robert Frost was an American poet. But a lot of people may not know that his first work was not published in the United States. His first work as a poet and as a published author was in England. He is known for his realistic depictions of rural life and his command of American colloquial speech. Despite being first published in England, Frost frequently wrote about settings from rural life in New England in the early 20th century, using those topics to examine complex social and philosophical themes. We'll look at his early years in just a moment. But before we do, Frost was honored frequently during his lifetime and is the only poet to receive four Pulitzer Prizes for poetry. He became one of America's rare public literary figures, almost an artistic institution, and he was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in 1960 for his poetic works. 
On July 22, 1961, Frost was named Poet Laureate of Vermont. Not long after that, in January of 1963, Frost passed away. Let's talk about some of his early years. Robert Frost was born, as I mentioned, in San Francisco, California, to journalist William Prescott Frost, Jr. and Isabel Moody. His mother was a Scottish immigrant, and his father descended from Nicholas Frost from Tiverton, England, who had sailed to New Hampshire in 1634 on the Wolfrana. Frost was a descendant of Samuel Appleton, one of the early settlers of Ipswich, Massachusetts, along with Reverend George Phillips, one of the early settlers of Watertown, Massachusetts. Frost's father was a teacher and later an editor for the San Francisco Evening Bulletin. That publication later merged with the San Francisco Examiner. And he was an unsuccessful candidate for city tax collector. After Frost father's death on May 5, 1885, the family moved across the country to Lawrence, Massachusetts, under the patronage of Robert's grandfather, William Frost Sr., who was an overseer at a New England mill. Frost graduated from Lawrence High School in 1892. Frost's mother joined the Swedenborgian church and had him baptized in it, but Frost left it as an adult. Although known for his later association with rural life, Frost grew up in the city, and he published his first poem in his high school's magazine. Robert Frost attended Dartmouth College, but only for two months. However, it was long enough to be accepted into the Theta Delta Chi fraternity. Frost returned home to teach and to work at various jobs, including helping his mother teach her class of unruly boys. He also delivered newspapers, and he worked in a factory maintaining carbon arc lamps. However, as you might anticipate, he did not enjoy any of these jobs. He felt that his true calling was poetry. And so, as a poet, he actually sold his first poem. It was a work called My Butterfly, an Elegy, and it was published in November 8, 1894, in an edition of the New York Independent. Robert Frost received $15 for that poem, which in today's economy 
would be about $440. Proud of his accomplishment, he proposed marriage to Eleanor Miriam White. But she wanted to wait to finish college. She was attending St. Lawrence University. Frost then went on an excursion to the Great Dismal Swamp in Virginia and asked Eleanor again upon his return. Since Eleanor had graduated, she agreed, and they were married at Lawrence, Massachusetts, on December 19, 1895. Frost attended Harvard University for a little while, from 1897 to 1899. However, Frost withdrew voluntarily due to illness. Fast forward now to 1924. Robert Frost won the first of four Pulitzer Prizes for the book New Hampshire, a poem with notes and grace notes. Of course, I mentioned that he won four Pulitzer Prizes. He would then go on to win those additional Pulitzers for collected poems in 1931, and then later a further range in 1937, and then six years later his last Pulitzer for A Witness Tree in 1943. For 42 years from 1921, to 1962, Frost spent almost every summer and fall teaching at the Breadloaf School of English of Middlebury College at its mountain campus in Ripton, Vermont. Frost is credited as a major influence upon the development of the school and its writing programs. The college now owns and maintains his former Ripton farmstead, a National Historic Landmark near the Bread of Loaf campus. In 1921, Frost accepted a fellowship teaching post at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, where he resided until 1927, when he returned to teach at Amherst. While teaching at the University of Michigan, he was awarded a lifetime appointment at the university as a fellow in letters. In 1934, Frost began to spend winter months in Florida. In March of 1935, he gave a talk at the University of Miami. In 1940, he bought a five-acre plot in South Miami, Florida, and he named it Pencil Pines. He spent his winters there for the rest of his life. In her memoir about Frost's time in Florida, Helen Muir writes, Frost had called his five acres Pencil Pines because, he said, he had never made a penny from anything that did not involve the use of a pencil. 
Robert Frost was 86 years old when he read at the inauguration of John F. Kennedy on January 20, 1961. Frost originally attempted to read his poem, Dedication, which was written for the occasion, but he was unable to read it due to the brightness of the sunlight. So he recited his poem, The Gift Outright, from memory instead. Robert Frost died in Boston, January 29, 1963, of complications from prostate surgery. He is buried at the old Bennington Cemetery in Bennington, Vermont. His epitaph quotes the last line from his poem, The Lesson for Today, which he penned in 1942. And that last line reads, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. Well, I certainly hope you have enjoyed episode number two, the first real full-length episode of My Pillow is Calling My Name. And hopefully, by now, you're asleep. But if not, at the very least, it's my hope that this has been a relaxing time, thinking about some of the great literary works that surround us. If you have an idea for content for this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My email address is time to sleep at weatherjazz.com. Again, that's time to sleep, one word, no spaces, at weatherjazz, one word, dot com. Time to sleep at weatherjazz.com. Please do me a huge favor, and if you have benefited from this podcast, please spread the word on your social media accounts, by email, by word of mouth. I would love for this to become a staple of many people who are looking for something relaxing to listen to as they fall asleep. And I hope for many, many more episodes to come. I'll produce them as quickly as I can. So, that as the episodes grow, you can make a notation of your favorite ones and start playing those as you fall asleep. Have a sweet and restful sleep. Good night.